Good morning. We have a wonderful children's program, correct? And yes, we do. And the children ages four through fourth grade can be dismissed at this point. We'll be reading Mark 13, verses 14 through 23. It's four, uh, 849 in the Pew Bible, page 849 in the Pew Bible. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing there where it not ought to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let, those, let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing, infants in those days pray that it may not happen in winter for in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that god has created until now and never will be and if the lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect whom he chose he shortened the days and then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there is he, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, but be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this uh, passage as we're methodically studying through your word, not, not skipping over and not cherry-picking, but actually working right through uh, this book of the Bible, Mark. We thank you, Lord, that you have set the table uh, today. We trust you, and would you feed us and help us to understand what you're saying to each of us individually. I rejoice in your sovereign perfect plan. We, we have sung that you are the Lord, Lord of all, and that includes the, this congregation that you have assembled here uh, at 600 Hawthorne Street in 2019 in June to meet together to worship and to hear your word and to pray together and now to, to think through Mark 13. So we ask for your special guidance, and we are trusting you, acknowledging that you are the teacher. So teach us, O Lord. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. Encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us. Please, we pray. Again, always and only through Jesus Christ, we trust in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. So again, we're in Mark 13. It's a privilege to be working through the book of Mark. And Jesus uh, has been, about three years now, has been having a public ministry. And his disciples have been with him a great deal of that time. And he's coming to the end. We're in, again, chronologically, in the book, we're in what the church calls Holy Week, which is the week between... 
the, we sang Hosanna this morning. Hosanna, Hosanna. I love that song. Because uh, that's the, uh, that's the Palm Sunday song. And, it, you know, but chronologically, where we are in Mark 13, that happened a couple of days ago, okay? For us, it happened a month or two ago. Uh, uh, but in the book, Hosanna is still ringing in our ears. And that's a cool word. It's actually from a psalm in the Bible. And it means, uh, help us, save us, please. Um, and so when we say, you are the God who saves us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus, that's all appropriate language uh, fitting that word, Hosanna. So Holy Week is between Palm Sunday and the next Sunday is Easter. And we're right there, chronologically, in this book. And so the disciples, they've been told specifically what's going to happen on Friday. Uh, Jesus will be crucified and you know, backing it up several hours, he's going to be betrayed horribly and then go through this wretched uh, trial. You know, in English we have an expression, a monkey trial. Uh, it's just like where it's like no sense, no justice. It's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, and that's what Jesus is going to go through here. It's just like a, a pretend justice and, I mean, they, they meet in the middle of the night and uh, they bring in false witnesses who don't even agree with one another. Uh, it's just horrible what Jesus will be going through. And then beaten and, you know, lashed at with uh, sticks and whips and, and then mocked. This is going to be happening in just a, literally a few hours. And the disciples have been warned about this, but they have no clue that it's going to happen. Uh, so Jesus is actually kind of preparing them for what will happen immediately and then what's going to happen perhaps within their lifetime. But then, like so many prophecies, it's like a telescope. It's looking out into the future and brings us actually to the very end of time. Um, the disciples had you know, no clue that this was all going to be happening, and now we're 2,000 years into this history. Um, I heard a, an illustration of it. It's like if you, if you go to a professional baseball park and imagine you were positioned perfectly sort of behind center field, and you had some really powerful binoculars and then you look through the binoculars and you're going to see the center fielder and then you'll see you know perhaps the shortstop and probably the picture pitcher and then you're going to see the uh batter and you're going to see the uh catcher and then even the umpire and then you know then this wall of fans right behind all of that and yet there's no sense of depth between them they all look like they're almost standing on each other and a lot of prophecies are like that. There's all these spiky events that happen, and we're not sure how far the distance is between them. Uh, prophecy ends to push things together. And so as we approach this prophecy, I think it's fair to say, let's quote the, what Jesus says at the very end, right? Uh, verse 32, which we didn't get to this week. We're going to, Lord willing, if, uh, if, if we have the opportunity next week sort of unpack it some more but see look at what Jesus says in Mark 13:32 right but concerning that day 
or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. So he's saying, all of the angels don't know, and even the Son. He's talking about himself. I don't even know. As a human being, he's God, truly God, truly man. But in his humanity, he has limited knowledge. He's purposefully limited his knowledge. And this is one of those things that he doesn't really know. But the Father knows. But only the Father. So be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So I'm just throwing that out there right at the very beginning. It's okay to look at this and say, wow, you know, how much space is there between the center fielder and the shortstop and the pitcher and the... Uh, the batter and the umpire and the fans. I, I can't tell how much space there is between these things. I don't know. And that's actually the attitude of Jesus. It's much better to say, I'm not sure exactly all the timing of these things. In fact, honestly, let's put it this way. If you find somebody who's absolutely sir, sure, <laughs> like stay away from that person. <laughs> Excuse me. They're, they're, they're probably, I mean, they are off. And those who particularly predict a day and a date, they're, they're totally off and wrong. Um, because here, Jesus says, no one knows. Okay, given that, let's look in the, uh, the context here. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 13. Um, actually, think of the flow of where we are in the book. Jesus has been out publicly talking with people, teaching them. And he's been doing wonderful miracles, healing people, literally by the thousands. There's these summary verses where it says, you know, just like tons of people came to him from the whole area and he healed them. And then he's been teaching and he's been then in the last chapters, um, the debate between those who are his enemies, who are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they've been out to catch him and to trick him and to tie him up linguistically. And he's done with that now. And auspiciously, this auspicious moment, it's a a weighty, important moment, he leaves the temple for the very last time. This is his house. He's leaving the temple. And at the very beginning, see it says, verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Oh, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. You know, this is gorgeous. Lord Jesus, I just love this place. It's so wonderful. And what does Jesus say? And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So it doesn't say this specifically, but it seems to be this implication that he's been in his temple, he's been teaching and doing wonderful things and proving that he's right in every argument he's been in, and yet he's being rejected by those people who administer the temple. They've rejected the Holy Spirit said through John, who's one of the great uh, disciples of Jesus, who became called John the Elder, 
because he outlived all the other disciples. He said, quote, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. And that's exactly what's happening. So he leaves the temple and then he predicts that that very temple is going to be ripped to shreds, torn down. Uh, and it seems like it might be a con- condemnation, a judgment on this edifice, this big brick building, amazing, huge stones. They said some of these stones are massive in this building. Um, and it's going to be thrown down. They've rejected Jesus, and it's now damned. The building is condemned. Like after an earthquake in California, they'll run around the town and put red tags on, on, on uh, houses. Uh, and that means it's condemned. You're not supposed to go in that building. It's gonna, it has to be torn down or massively fixed. And Jesus red tags the temple, uh, in essence, here. And now, by the way, this is a prophecy that will be specifically fulfilled, literally fulfilled. This is around 30 A.D., 32 maybe, 32 A.D. In 70 A.D., which, quick, do the math, that's roughly 40 years, right? 38 years. The Romans are going to unleash their wrath on Judah and smash it and, and literally tear down this temple. And, and it's, it's really uh, scary. They said, well, this is, I was just admiring this gorgeous building, and now you're telling me it's going to be ripped to shreds. It's, it's too big to fail. <laughs> we can't let this happen, all of these emotions going on. And so appropriately, uh, a little bit later, they're over across the way. They're on the Mount of Olives looking back into Jerusalem. And see, this is verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Give us the inside information, Lord Jesus. Uh, you've just predicted this massive destruction. You've red-tagged the temple. Uh, when is this going to happen? So this chapter is an answer to that. And the, ver- the first answer that we looked at last week is, in essence, um, there's going to be a lot of troubles coming up. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, he says. There'll be f- famines in various places. And verse 8 there at the very end, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Um, it's a beautiful metaphor of, you know, birth. It's, it's nine months uh, waiting, 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 and you get to like seven and a half or eight months, and you think, I'm never going to have this baby. It's never going to happen. And you'll have, you have lots of pains throughout this whole time. Uh, but these are just the beginning. You know, the earth is sort of having its Braxton Hicks, its false labor. Uh, Don't worry about it. This is normal. This is going to happen. And so that's exactly the metaphor he he uses. Be on your guard, verse 9. We're going to move through this. Uh, But so finally, he says in verse 14, now he's going to make, instead of, of, this is where we are now. We're kind of living in in verses 3 through 13. It's like, I'm sorry, the prediction is trouble. 
it's gonna, we're going to have trouble all over the place. Um, he warns his followers that there's difficult times ahead. Uh, if, if you're taking notes, write down John 16, 31 through 33. That's, it's a great verse. I, I actually use this in uh, counseling people in the hospital. You know, they, they look up and say, why? Why is this happening? This is so, it seems r- irrational. And, and I, I agree with you. I say, I'm, you know, I'm, I grieve with you. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, listen to what Jesus said. Um, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And here's kind of the punchline, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's a whole perspective for our lives, quite frankly, that in Jesus we can have peace. But in this world, no one has peace permanently. We, and you and I, we live kind of in a, in a bubble, you know, of, of just grace and blessing. By and large, our lives are just, a, you know, fin- we have like survivor's guilt and, uh, you know, like wh- why are we doing so well? Uh, uh, we, by and large, we're blessed. But even in our blessed lives, right, uh, trouble will come. Uh, we will get, have some issues, some trouble, some illness, some accident. It will come. And, and this word of Jesus is exactly that. I've told you these things so that in me, in me, trust in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. So Jesus is predicting we will have tribulation in this world. It's not a surprise. There's never one promise in the Bible that says, come and believe in Jesus and your life's going to be easy. You know? There's no promise of that. Uh, in fact, it's just the opposite. He's just, he predicts that in the passage we looked at last week. There will be persecution. There will be trouble. That's what we can expect. But I have overcome the world. In the end, there is great and sweet and wonderful victory for those who believe in Jesus Christ and have received him as their Savior. There will be times of great difficulty. Uh, look with me at another key passage. Second uh, Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3. I think is actually a very important passage to understand what Jesus is saying in this passage that we have already heard read by Andre. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Takes a little while to find it, but here we go. This is Paul the Apostle. Uh, again, very similar to what Jesus is saying. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Wow, the list goes on. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So Paul is saying the same exact thing. Trouble is coming. I wish, you know, I wish the Bible would say, believe in Jesus and your life's going to be peachy and wonderful for the rest of your days. But that's not the truth. That's not what we proclaim. We proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ from eternal loss, eternal condemnation. But here and now, the trouble has a purpose, as we're going to get into here in a moment. So let's look at the text then. He says, very specifically, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, and then there's a parenthesis, probably not, deserving red ink. It's probably, this parenthesis is probably not in the speech of Jesus, but it's added by uh, the authors. Let the reader understand. It's an invitation to say, hey, pause a minute and think about what I'm saying. Uh, let then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And then he goes through this whole series. I might as well, I'll go ahead and read it a little bit. Uh, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house. When that happens, the instantaneous horrible trouble is going to come. Don't even go into your house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Here's somebody working in the field. He's 50 feet away from his jacket. Jesus says, don't even go back to get your jacket. Just get out of there. Uh, That's how fast this trouble is going to be coming. And let the one who is in the field, I already read that, verse 16. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. I mean, it's difficult to flee during the winter time. Uh, verse 19, for in those days there will be such tribulation and has, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. I think with that verse, we start to see that distance. Uh, in other words, this prophecy is not simply about 70 AD when the Romans unleashed their wrath on Jerusalem. There's something deeper here. Yes, that was an abomination of desolation, but that happened in one little, you know, two square miles in the Middle East. It was horrible. It was horribly rotten, but it certainly doesn't fit the description that Jesus has here. Uh, He's saying this tribulation that comes at this point when the abomination of desolation is standing where he ought not to be, it's the worst ever. It's, it's the worst ever, and it ever will be. You know, again, I don't want to minimize what happened in 70 A.D., but to say that was the worst tribulation that the world has ever seen, it's pretty stretching it, I think, uh, if that's all it is. It's going beyond that. It's much deeper and profound. In fact, look what he says some more here. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. I mean, that clearly outstrips what happened in 70 A.D. This is talking about the future, massive event. And again, you know, I've got like, I've got eight minutes left here today. Uh, Obviously, I can't teach the entire doctrine here. But this is talking about this massive event. The Bible speaks of the Antichrist who will be revealed The whole abomination of desolation is a word coming from Daniel, which he wrote around 500 
B.C., and it had a temporary fulfillment in a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek who crushed Jerusalem, who came into the temple then. This is around like 200 B.C. to 160 B.C. in that area. Antiochus Epiphanes came into the temple and put up a statue of Zeus in the Hebrew temple, which is, that's an abomination. It desolates the temple. And then what's worse is he actually sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal, to Zeus in the temple. Uh, Again, that was an abomination of desolation, but that's a temporary fulfillment. And then I see the Roman desolation is another temporary fulfillment, another thing that happened, like the short shortstop in the center fielder. But this prophecy looks to the very, very end. These things, like, what's the word? Like foreshadow. When you look at a temple, I mean a, a painting, right? The, front, the part in front of the painting is foreshadowing, isn't it? Something like that. And you kind of look over that and you see the distant thing. And that's what we're looking at as well here. Um, the, the, the Antichrist who is coming. As I said, it, there's a lot of great scriptures here. Uh, Daniel speaks of this, and then of Second Thessalonians. Let's, let's read a little bit. I want to throw in a bit on Second Thessalonians this is because it's so appropriate. And by the way, the men have been studying First Thessalonians in men's breakfast, and we will be getting into Second Thessalonians here uh, in a few weeks. But look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about the man of lawlessness, which, again, we, not dogmatically, but we're pretty sure this is describing this individual that's in Romans, excuse me, Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Think Mark 13. Revelation 13 uh, is the Antichrist named by John in his writings. But anyway, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, listen to this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be too quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Okay. You see how that parallels, I think, Mark 13, where Jesus says, you will see the big sign, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be in the temple. Now, of course, honestly, there, there's a wild thought because there is no temple today. So how can the Antichrist come and stand in the temple and reveal himself to be God and demand worship. Temples can be built. <laughs> Temples can be restored. Uh, and uh, we, we, I, we don't know dogmatically, 
But it seems to indicate that there will... And these prophecies have been fulfilled so literally. To me, it's just really, really hard to believe that all of a sudden we're just metaphor now. You know, I think it's going to be somehow absolutely literal, a rebuilt temple, and he's going to stand where he shouldn't be, and he's going to demand worship, and he will be the Antichrist. And he's going to be incredibly effective. He'll be able to like, turn... The, almost the whole world to him, you know, except, except for the elect, it says. Those chosen by God for salvation, they won't be deceived. But almost, it's so, so deceptive. Um, and John tells us that this power is already at work in the world from the first century, you know, still to today. Okay, let me sum it up. Let me sum up. Uh, I have a few slides here to look at real quick. Uh, the abomination of desolation. I could have shown you that a few minutes ago. Doesn't do you much, but there you go. <laughs> but remember this from last week. I think this is so important to this whole text. God has a purpose. History is not cyclical. Uh, one of I, I like the Lion King, the original Lion King movie. But it, there, it, there one song about the, the cycle, the circle of life. Life is a big circle. Uh, you know, life does have cycles, and, you know, the generations come and go. But the Bible teaches that it's linear. It's time is going somewhere. It's not just a circle, but it's actually going somewhere. And that's what we see in Mark 13. God has a plan. He's going somewhere with this, and things are going to happen. Uh, I think... In California, we have some of the best, beautiful things in all the world. Uh, this slide didn't come through very well, but that's okay. This is Yosemite, uh, taken by a, a member of our church. And you know what this represents? Yeah, it's beautiful, but also represents a time in history when there were amazing cataclysmic events. Now you go there, oh, it's so peaceful. That is, it's so wonderful but I wouldn't want to have been there the day it was created or the, the week or the month it was created because it would not have been a friendly place for humanity to be. Uh, the earth has been violently interrupted. Um, you know, again, just fly over Arizona and look down. Look at the Grand Canyon. Look at the drainage field. Look at the evidence for a worldwide flood. And you know that... Uh, God, you can't see it here, but right there, there's some black print. <laughs> and it, it says this, I had it on the screen last week. God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. One of the biggest messages of Jesus is, trust me. Yes, things are going to be really hard on a personal level and a global level. It's going to be really crazy, but you can trust God. He has a purpose in all of it. So what do we learn here? First of all, the Antichrist is not going to have horns. He's probably going to be a really good-looking guy. I just Googled, great-looking guy. And, and that's what came. I thought it would be me, but it wasn't me. <laughs> just, I hope he's not like some star that you all know. But anyway, <laughs> um, he, I think the Bible tells, tells us he, he is an individual. He is a human being. It's not just some metaphorical thing. He will be a personal individual. His appearance heralds the end time. In fact, at the end of our passage, it says, uh, the generation that sees these things will not pass away. So when these things are revealed, 
When the Antichrist actually appears, then we have, you know, tick-tock, tick-tock the time. We have a few years left uh, that, whenever that, that happens. He has miraculous power. The Bible tells us this. The guy can do miracles. He's amazing. Uh, he's doing miracles that rival the miracles of Jesus. And he will stand in the temple demanding worship. And, and many will follow him. Finally, then, is my last slide, our response. How do we respond to this? And I have a whole lot of language here. Hopefully it comes, yeah. You, you'll be able to see it in a moment. It'll all come clear. Uh, history is moving toward a cat- cataclysmic end. That's what it says here. It, it looks like it's not, but it is. God has purposes in his timeline. And here, is, here are the purposes right from the text. Look at verse 9. It says, you're going to be uh, persecuted. You're going to be brought, like, like Jesus himself was brought to trial, right? You're going to be brought to trial. And he says, to be a witness. There's a purpose in our trials. When we go through trials, that's when our faith really shows. You know, do you really believe? Do you really trust? Or are you just given over to despair, anger? What is it? Do you really trust? Uh, And this is another purpose. The gospel must be proclaimed. Why is God waiting so long? He says the gospel, verse 10 of our our passage, the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations. That's why we support missions. Uh, it's, It's our duty to proclaim the gospel to all nations, all people groups. Pretty exciting, international students included. God is patient He's working his plan patiently. He's waiting for all his, his chosen ones uh, to come to repentance. And so finally, the, our, here I put a white thing for you here. Our response, I told you, wait and it will be revealed. <laughs> uh, this is our response. Our response is to be knowledgeable. You know, the Bible says we're not in the dark so that these things overtake us like a thief in the night. We're, we're warned. We know that trouble is coming. Our response is to be knowledgeable, patient, proclaiming the gospel, and living for the Lord, putting the Lord first in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this. Lord, I pray that you would uh, teach us to trust you even in the immediate difficulties we face. We so often just panic and and give in to uh, fear and anger and impatience. We're so impatient. We pray, Lord, for strength that we trust you through it all and trust that you have a purpose. You're the one who works all things after the counsel of your will, after what you've decided that uh, you are working your plan. So we trust you, O Lord, and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.